0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hello from the Slate Studios in New York City. Welcome to Podcasts for America, a show about the increasingly absurd process of running for the presidency of the United States of America. I'm Alex Wagner with MSNBC. With me, here in New York, a special treat this August day. Actually, September day. Mm-hmm. Actually, we'll leave it up to you to get a guest. the summer of this. Trump.
0: We'll put it under the umbrella of the summer of Trump.
1: You recognize his voice. You've heard it so many times before. Chief National Correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, author of This Town, available now in paperback mm-hmm. and in Chinese paperback, mm-hmm. the great Mark Leibovich Mark, it's so wonderful to see you. It's
0: so good to be here, live and in person
1: I will say the wonderful Annie Lowry is donning a wizard robe in the desert. What
0: happens at Burning Man? Stays
1: there. Yeah. First up today, Mark, we are going to talk about Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton, who escaped the peace and quiet of the campaign trail for the rabble-rousing southern fork of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. Mm. The Hamptons, Mark. And then we will talk to a special, very, very special guest we have on the podcast today. Former Obama bigwig John Favreau, who will weigh in on whether or not President Barack Obama has officially entered the zero fuck stage of his presidency. That's an official part of his presidency. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we'll get to the heart of the matter. What does Kanye West and a 2020 candidacy mean for the United States of America? 2020. 2020. That's just an interesting time Mm -hmm. to announce you're going to run for president. Okay, so first up. She has some rough poll numbers, and it is perhaps not a wonder that Hillary Clinton has retreated to her happy place, the Hamptons. But in a campaign season, nothing can be done without symbolism. You know that so well, Mark. Mm, and everything
0: stands for something else. We yeah, always the cost. That. Yeah. Well, always.
1: I, I'm always saying that to you. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, especially vacations. Vacations are a loaded subject. We talked a little bit about the vineyard not a few weeks ago, Mark, but this Hamptons retreat has. I, I feel like it's kind of an maybe a little bit of an issue for the Clintons.
0: Now, normally I would say that the whole like, oh, look at the president, you know, going to Martha's Vineyard, or look how many times the president has golfed. Wouldn't that be offensive to swing voters? I, I always sort of give them a pass because like, really, who cares, right? I mean, it's like everyone gets over, Get over yourselves. These are people... They have money, they have means, they have friends. Why not just let them do what they want? Having said that, Hillary Clinton, especially I think on Monday, went and denounced Wall Street or something. She gave some speech denouncing Wall Street. And then on, this is over the weekend, all of these photos come out of her at various parties and fundraisers and just sort of Hamptony kind of things. And, like, this is her place. They love the Hamptons. Something
1: have, about the water there.
0: Something about the water... But someone quoted her as saying, you know, why do I go to the Hamptons? Because all my friends are there. I mean, this is... Like who right. they have become. I mean, yeah.
1: the fundraisers that the Clintons were at or that Hillary was at included ones thrown by fashion designers like Tory Burch and Donna Karen, the right. Patricoffs. this kind of moneyed elite New York class. Now, I'm sure uh, many of the same people in the same economic bracket are vacationing in the vineyard. But to your point about whether the Hamptons represents something, I mean, so I would say, to one, there, there's that question about whether this represents a, a newly gross chapter in the in the presidential vacation. Right. But to your point about Wall Street, Given the proximity of Wall Street to the Hamptons, does that complicate the message? And the fact yes. that Bernie Sanders, according to the latest polling in Iowa, is catching up to her. His whole message is economic populism. Yes. She is renting a house for $50,000 a week. And
0: just speaking from a purely guttural level, I, I didn't like these pictures. I just found them obnoxious. And I normally Why? don't. Why? Why? And I'm normally not like a Hillary and Bill hater look at their. I just thought that it was totally like really wrong. I just think it was actually actually kind of really wrong. I mean if you're going to go out and like make your message about fairness and inequality and you have a challenger who is, you know, making I think you know a pretty compelling message about this and then like these this barrage of pictures hits the wire and the web I think that the the level of caricature here just was a bit much
1: for people who were sort of questioned how real is this strain of economic populism or this newly sort of proletarian message right The vacationing in the Hamptons is just you know it's 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 confirmation that it isn't genuine right
0: and and that there was or I that
1: mean, they don't care maybe and I that don't know they don't
0: care and that you know they're talking about super delegates I mean, did you see that they were actually uh, they they have like people filling it at this um d n c meeting where was it? it? was Minneapolis. They're actually having people fill out, like, I'm committing to be your superdelegate forms, you know, to the, all the DNC bigwigs there, which is preposterous. I mean, the fact that they're even, like, thinking about superdelegates screams of entitlement. The fact that they're on the Hamptons while they're, you know, people are doing this screams of entitlement. And at the same time, later in the show, we're going to talk about President Obama and the zero fucks stage of his presidency and Donald Trump, the politics of the zero fucks sort of ethos in politics. I mean, Hillary Clinton has not given an interview for, you know, weeks now, months. I mean, after like saying, all right, this is where the interviews start, you know, at the beginning of June, I think she's given one to CNN. And this is like what we get to see of her. Like, it's not like we're making this stuff up. I mean, like, I don't think it's terribly palatable right now.
1: Part of me as someone who consumes and is part of the political media, right. discussing this and covering it and parsing it is, is, you know, our job. And then part of me as a, a sort of voter and someone looking at our democracy thinks, OK, but when, <laughs> when it actually comes to the presidency of the United States and you compare what Hillary Clinton will do in office. It's irrelevant. It is. Yes. I mean, the difference... Yeah. And and I say that look dip, it doesn't matter you know whether you're a democrat or a republican the gulf between what she would do and and what someone on the republican side of the aisle would do I and mean, there's a vast I truly believe there's a vast a, like a chasm yes. that separates at this point the democratic policy platform from the republican one. Yes. And exactly. that is like you know really serious shit and yet I find myself I, yes, I mean I feel like too. I'm in the shrinks office I I, I find myself getting irritated would be euphemistic Mm -hmm. just sort of incredulous perhaps maybe it's the voter in me getting angry that she's mismanaged this process these are these are self-inflicted wounds right but then i also find it like irritating you know anger making that there's there's a crassness there is in in the the field of i
0: agree with you i don't think we're alone we are not of the demographic that she needs to really reach to like get to like comprehend her i mean we know, you know how politics works. We know how the media works. I mean, we're both based on the in the northeast quadrant of the United States. We have vacationed at times over the years, uh, not together, but like, unfortunately, unf- not one never. day. One day we, when we have our our podcast, mobile for America, podcast, mobile podcast vacation. But I think we need to listen, and probably she would listen to the response that this could be Having on people is because look if if you lose podcasts for America
1: <laughs> you've lost the I country mean,
0: you've definitely lost like lost Brooklyn. the base yeah well, maybe you lose Def- Brooklyn no no you can't lose Brooklyn
1: can you ever lose Brooklyn as a Democrat I don't know
0: I don't know I guess Past we'll see the I, I'm I'm guessing that Bernie Sanders who grew up in Brooklyn I mean that could be an yep. interesting. Sort of fight I mean, like the, the Brooklyn based campaign, even though Hillary herself does not deign to go into the headquarters because she's got an office somewhere in Manhattan. Um versus, Which is
1: another example of like hello? here we are in Brooklyn, forget go about it. To just Brooklyn. kidding. I'm in yeah, Manhattan. So. I'm
0: here. Yeah. It's still the summer. I mean, yep. yeah, maybe this whole thing will pivot. We'll sort of see if, if you can sort of flick a switch and,
1: and on that somber note, well No, ask
0: not on that somber on
1: note on that it's an deeply, upbeat note. thoughtful Yeah, it is. It is very upbeat. A kind of somber note tinged with optimism.
0: We love America.
1: We do love America, which is Mm -hmm. why we named our podcast after it, partially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I will say, Twitter fans, tell us what you think about the summer of Trump, the summer of Clinton, and whether you're optimistic. Summer of Bernie. Feeling the burn. Feeling the burn. Mm -hmm. Tweet us, at pod for America.
0: Has feeling the burn, like, caught on as, like, a button? Like, I assume that, like, they're marketing this in some smart way. I want to see a
1: feeling the burn with Bernie Sanders' head on the Coppertone baby. You know what I'm talking about? The copper-toned baby with the dog running away with the bikini. I'm. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, let's do that it. That sounds like a graphic we should have mocked up.
0: It shouldn't be that hard. Let's do it. We have can an, we do uh, that? Well,
1: in addition to a mo- mobile podcasting unit, we do have a very crackerjack mm-hmm. graphics team. Yeah. So moving on to probably my favorite discussion of this podcast, Mark. Has the president of the United States officially entered the zero fucks stage of his presidency? That's an official stage of any presidency, mm-hmm. as Mark can tell you. Yeah. Um, First off, he's going to Alaska or he's in Alaska right now. And the White House has announced that the president intends to rename Mount McKinley Denali, meaning the high one, which is something I've been called in other circumstances. (laughs) And also the White House announced that the president will be the first sitting U.S. president to be on a survival program with noted explorer Bear Grills, Running Wild with Bear Grills. To discuss these very important developments in what may be officially the zero fuck stage of his presidency, Mark and I are pleased to introduce former Obama speechwriter, man about town, soothsayer, poet, poet,
0: don't forget poet Casanova, wow. mm-hmm.
1: sartorialist,
0: Johnson. I mean, Johnson, like like my Johnson, like the literary sense, right? Oh, yeah. you know, like,
2: you, guys, well, you guys just keep going. Yeah. I'll, I'll
1: John Favreau.
2: Hey
0: Johnson in the
1: literary okay. sense. John, yeah. thank you for joining us from an undisclosed location.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Hi, John. This is exciting. Tell us how big a fan you are of the podcast.
2: <laughs> I am a huge fan of the podcast. I do not miss one every whatever day it is.
1: <laughs> every time it's a podcast. I've, I've tried to acknowledge that it's a podcast. John, um, let me get your first reaction to these two developments. One Denali, two Bear Grylls. One of those is more important than the other.
2: <laughs> I had no idea the Denali thing was in the works, nor did I know the mountain had ever been called Denali before. So I was just kind of following this night on Twitter.
1: Interesting. But, it, you know, it sort of falls
2: in the category of, like, once I started looking, you know, researching it, the state wanted it that way since 1975, right? And so it's sort of one of these things that only hasn't happened because, you know, you need to kiss the ass of everyone in Ohio since it's Ohio. Um, right.
1: But that's actually a very important right. point, isn't it? I mean, here we have an election season, and here's the sitting Democratic president raising the ire
2: of Ohio. Of Ohio. I know. I, well, it's so funny because I am... My girlfriend's from Ohio, and so is her whole family, and extended family, and I'm currently with them all on vacation right now. Oh, oh interesting!
1: Where? Are you wearing a t-shirt that says, it'll always be Denali to me? I'm not in Ohio. I'm
2: in Maine. But um, when this happened last night, everyone was like, uh, so what? So
1: they're not McKinleyites?
0: No, so but what McKinley How, how yeah. is this playing in Ohio? I mean I saw Boehner made a, a statement. He was disappointed. There Brown is a bipartisan
1: and, coalition of people who have spoken out elected representatives okay. sitting and otherwise who've spoken out against this. Yeah. John, you know this man. <laughs> does this seem like the behavior of someone who maybe has zero fucks to give at this point?
2: It, it, <laughs> it does, but I don't know. I like thing with the whole zero fucks stage of the presidency is Barack Obama started running for the presidency. The last piece of advice to everyone before he started running was sometimes you just got to say, what the fuck, and go with it, <laughs> which is like sort of how he started running. And, you know, I think then you get into the White House and there's all kinds of crises that are thrown at you. And all you kinds of be fucks. Careful about a whole bunch. Yeah, exactly. Many fucks. Many fucks present About themselves. so many different things. Yeah. You know, now that he kind of, the end is in sight, I think he wants to leave it out on the field.
1: The fourth quarter of the game is often the most interesting. And he said this a lot publicly. And in fact, he has shown that the fourth quarter is, is shaping up to be really the most interesting part of his presidency, potentially, with landmark pieces of policy getting enacted. I guess I wonder, since you have known him since the beginning. Did he always think that? Did he always think the fourth quarter could be interesting? Or is that a matter of sort of circumstance dictating that chestnut?
2: Part of this is experience. You get into the White House. He got into the White House at a time where obviously there was a lot of different crises uh, that he had to deal with. And there's caution built into the political system in Washington and caution built into government. And there are a million people who are experts who are telling you, like, you can't say this or or the markets will tumble and you can't do this or you're going to start a war, right? And, and so your first couple years in the White House, you're like, well, I have a lot of considerations and a lot of responsibilities for the country and I have to be somewhat careful. And then as you go on as president, you realize that most of what Washington tells you is risky is complete bullshit. <laughs> and he's been willing to take a lot more risks because he realizes that the conventional wisdom about why you should or shouldn't do something is almost never right.
0: Now, can I raise a broader point here about just sort of the whole Mm -hmm. ethos of zero fucks? I mean, you could argue that given the success of Mr. Zero Fucks himself, Donald Trump, we've almost entered a zero fucks stage of American politics in that what Trump has done is he has put the lie to the false humility, the false gentlemanliness, the frankly, the responsible rhetoric side of politics that is, frankly, boring, something people are fed up with, and there is a...
1: Well, responsible also being informed in certain cases, like when he talks about immigration, which is, oh, is yes, just no, plainly I mean, bigoted race-baiting.
0: No, but, right. Exactly. No. But there is like, whatever. Whatever Trump is doing is working. I mean, whatever Obama for is him. doing... For him. For him. Yes. In, the, in today's Republican Party. But in Obama's sense, there's there's almost like a, you, you have to fight for your right to party. And now he's partying. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Sorry. To, to, bring, yeah. to bring the Beastie Boys into this. But I do think that there is a broader appeal to this. It is... In keeping somewhat with the times, right, don't you think?
2: I totally agree with that. I mean, Donald Trump, you know, even however crazy he may be, right, he's got a theory of the case for why he's running for president. And he is confident enough to go around and make that case and say whatever he needs to say to make the argument. And while he's making it, not worry about pissing off different kinds of people. Bernie Sanders has an argument to make. He has a theory of the case. He knows why he's running for president. And that's sort of been the case with Obama from the beginning, too. When he's been under attack, when people tell him, like, that's not how you're supposed to do things, you're not supposed to say it like this, you've just committed a horrible gaffe. like, he generally doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> because, and he you know, and he, like, he cares a lot about his agenda, and he cares a lot about doing what's right for the country, but he doesn't care as much about the opinions of official Washington.
1: At the same time, though, John, I feel like... bipartisan relations have deteriorated to an all new low. And I think a lot of people in the Democratic Party would say that's not because of President Obama. That's because Republicans decided they were going to have a strategy and that strategy was to block anything he wanted to do to end the conversation, et cetera, et cetera. And there's almost been a sense of frustration that this president, because he is perhaps not as emotional and reactionary, there are ways to sort of phrase it that are, are, are at once more critical or euphemistic, depending on where, what side of the aisle your politics are on. But that what we're seeing now is the sort of the bear is on the loose, that he is more himself. He is less controlled. He is freer with his thoughts and his personality than right. before. And I yeah. guess that's maybe what when we talk about the zero fucks, it's something that feels new. It doesn't feel like something the president he's always been. It definitely
2: has something to do with Congress when Republicans can't even agree with Republicans he's not going to show up and make some deals. So when you finally realize, like, I don't have to worry too much what members of Congress think, you know, obviously the Iran deal is a big exception right now. But when you get to that point, then you realize that all you have is the bully pulpit, the executive power, and executive authority of the president, and you might as well, like, use everything you got.
1: Okay, John and and Mark, you've given us a, the perfect segue as we talk about Zero Fox. <laughs> and the inflammatory nature of the political discussion.
0: And Donald Trump.
1: And Donald Trump. Donald Donald Trump Trump. has has, perhaps has begotten the, the candidacy of a one Kanye West, who announced on Sunday night that he will be running for president in the year 2020. And I suppose, you know, John, as a consumer of pop culture, as a young guy who may or may not listen to Kanye West... What your reaction to this news was against the backdrop of Donald Trump and D's Nuts?
2: I mean, I just, it's so stupid.
1: <laughs> this was, so you were not signing up to be a speechwriter.
2: Denali will soon be renamed Yeezus in 2020 <laughs> 2021 when he takes office. That's awesome. You know, he's like Donald Trump. He's someone who knows how to get attention, right? I'm going to go out and give a crazy speech, and then say I'm running for president, and they'll cover that. Why 2020 though? Why?
1: Yeah. Why, why 2020? 2020? Like, why would nobody Trump... told Kanye that it's like kind of not? You don't want to run in the midterm. Yeah. You don't want to so, run in the reelection.
2: Clearly, him and Trump had like a gentleman's agreement that's going to wait for next
0: time. Clearly, yes. I don't think he. I think they. <laughs> don't, I don't think he would feel comfortable running against Donald Trump. Yeah. No. I, I mean, he, he realizes he has to build an operation, he has to fundraise. <laughs> young
1: operation. Jeezy has to man the Iowa, his Iowa campaign but, chair.
0: Yeah, he's not going to pull a Biden here. He's going to really think about this. <laughs> I mean, but isn't this like the next iteration of the idiocracy yes. of American politics? A hundred and a hundred thousand figure Okay, so Trump. Oh, yeah. Know, Trump, Trump, the Frankenstein's monster of this. But, you know, when we have these these D's nuts, we, last week's, yes. you know, freak of the week and this week's freak of the week is Kanye. I want to know what Kanye's <laughs> theory of the case is, right?
1: <laughs> it's like, uh, on one hand, it's like exhilarating as a topic to talk about. On the other hand, it is terrifying and it's awful terrifying. and maybe does point to something about the atrophy nature of, uh, you know, Who's on offer for uh, elected representatives?
0: Well, what should we do? Like, we're, we're in the media. I mean, what what are, what are we to do here? Like, react like, with outrage? No, should we react with outrage? Should we just say, why are we even talking about it? Should we, like, take all of these tweets and emails about, you know, how dare you even give any attention to Donald Trump or, you know, I, I assume, you know, the flood of emails we get after this show uh, give any attention to Kanye West. Who's at fault here? I mean, like, are Trump and Kanye, I love that we're talking about these two people together. Are, are they playing us for idiots or are they just right. making us small or are they well, just using us? I don't know.
1: I mean, that's a good, really good question, right, John? Because Donald Trump, if he hadn't gotten the media attention, if people hadn't arrived at Trump Tower with video cameras, would Trump be leading in the polls? If we don't talk about Kanye West, if a Kanye West falls in the forest and no one <laughs> hears it, never, I don't remember what that... And the point is, like, by talking about a Kanye West <laughs> candidacy... Do we confer some, like, shred of legitimacy?
2: Right. Yeah, but it's, it's like, I mean, I blame the media for a lot of things. I actually don't blame the media as much for this because, thank you. I, I mean, here's the thing, you can't really expect them to act any differently. This has long turned from a contest about substance into a contest about style and personality. Like, that, that ship left the station a long time ago. The fact that we cover this, we cover politics, and we cover political campaigns as entertainment, as a game. We have for a long time. When you have that combined with the fact that trust and faith in institutions is at an all-time low, and you have people also having this view of the presidency that, like, we can elect someone and they can make wave a magic wand and all our problems can go away, you're going to have a segment of the population that responds well to a Donald Trump.
1: Or a Kanye West.
2: Or Kanye West, right. We should hopefully comfort ourselves with the fact that it's, you know, no more than a small, small segment of the population and it doesn't go further than that. But I do think it is incumbent upon someone and one of these, one or more of these candidates in 2016 running on the Democratic side and the Republican side. For
0: 2020.
2: <laughs> or 2020. Or <laughs> 2020. I
0: love the 2020.
2: Making the case against... <laughs> Donald Trump and like what Donald Trump represents, right. which is the idea that politics isn't the answer to our problems. that like, you know, we don't have a role as citizens, that we don't have an obligation to each other, that, you know, that the experiment of government is over, that we sh- you know, like all this stuff that I'm sure people roll their eyes about when Obama says, but I really do think no one's out there making the case for a political system that works, mm-hmm. right? And that like, and why Donald Trump is so wrong. Yeah. That's so 2008. He said something crazy on immigration, and they go after him just on immigration, and they just leave right. right. Like Someone's going to go out there and just take on the whole fucking case. Like, this guy's an entertainer, and he's a charlatan, and he's dumb, and nothing he says is right, and this is not the country we are. This is not what we believe in. This is not how we win as a country, right?
0: But, like, John, think of what primary he's, he's running in, first of all. I mean, he, his message is extremely, in a weird way, very tight, In today's Republican Party and very effective if you look at three things. I mean, immigration reform, I mean, far and away the most emotional, kind of easy to demagogue issue, certainly on the right. Um, Political correctness, a huge concept. I mean, it crosses across a number of issues, resonates, you know, less on the left. But I mean, this is like a huge thing on the right. And the third is is somewhat campaign finance, which I was I mean, thinking,
1: well economic populism,
0: economic which right. he's
1: like lately he's talking about taxing hedge fund managers at a higher well, that, rate, that which he's, is
0: amazing. He,
1: Donald but, Trump has like figured out some very alchemical parts yes. of of what it means to be a modern Republican that the establishment haven't figured
0: out. Right? I mean, said like, I can't right. be bought. I mean, like that's yeah. a pretty effective you know, declaration and you know, forget the fact that we have this garish billionaire or maybe not even billionaire making this comment. But it's you know, those are three pretty big themes that he kind of owns at this moment.
2: But what they all have in common is there is a very easy answer to the problems in your life and I have it. Right. Yes. And it is like it is the the essence of what a demagogue is. It is also very easy to say because you're struggling sometimes, like America's struggling and America's not great and it is very easy to tap into that feeling because people have it every day in their lives and there's wage stagnation in the country and not enough people still have a good jobs and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, someone has to make the case that, like, big problems take time to solve and it takes a lot of different solutions and it's not easy and there's not one reason for all the problems that we have. You know, like, it's but making the complicated case is much more challenging.
1: Right. That's a very thoughtful, competent argument. It's hard to make that in this moment.
2: It's easy to forget about now because like, Trump's out there just bashing the shit out of the country and making us all feel bad about everything. But no one's out there making the opposite case. And I think it's possible to do that.
0: I will say, though, that there's part of me that is somewhat exhilarated by the Trump phenomenon because... He has exposed the smallness and the stupidity and, the frankly, the ineffectualness of the media. Yeah, totally. While, sure. you, while using the media at the same time. I mean, it's an incredible kind of judo move on his part. We start in Juno and we go to judo.
1: That's why you're the co-host mm-hmm. of this program. Yes, I am. John, um, it has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Yes, he's it, a Mark? friend
0: of the podcast. I would put you as a one of the top three friends of the podcast
1: at this yes. point. Given and, the fact th- that we've had, what, three friends on the podcast? No, oh, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah. You're up in the top three. So
2: there's room to grow. You
1: have stiff competition, though. You do. You have stiff competition and you you're way up there, hands down. Unanimous vote. Unanimous consent.
0: Thanks for coming on, though, John. We appreciate it. We really do. Anytime. Take care.
1: Okay. Unfortunately, Mark, mm-hmm. our time here is coming to a close. Okay. Makes me sad. Sadder. But um, Sadder. these things end as they do. That's all for Podcasts for America. Good.
0: That's our theory of the case.
1: At least for this week. Mm -hmm. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank, and as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show, this show in particular. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And please tell your friends about us, too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And do not forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people, great people, great Americans, discover mm-hmm. this show. Mm-hmm. Mark Leibovitch, just that dulcet, the dulcet vocal nod. That's why this show is great. Oh, dulcet vocal That's nod. You. That's thank your, you. Thank
0: uh, you. Thank you for everything, <laughs> everyone.
1: <laughs> thank you. See you next week. Thanks for listening.